If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, we'll be looking at the text, verses 1 through 21. The title of the message this morning, as you see on the screen, is The Good Shepherd. And if you'll notice in the worship bulletin, there's a uh, there's an insert there so you can follow along. <clears throat> but this text, The Good Shepherd, uh, it follows closely on the heels of uh, what Jesus has been doing in the tabernacle uh, through the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus tells this parable to distinguish between himself as the true shepherd and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the the false shepherds. And he continues his discourse following from chapters 8 and chapter 9. And in this text, in John chapter 10, verse 1, the parable of the good shepherd, Jesus claims to be the true shepherd. There's no other like him. Jesus claimed in chapter 8, verse 12, at the culmination of the Feast of Tabernacles, I am the light of the world, thus claiming to be the very revelation of God to humanity as the incarnate one of God, the Christ, the Messiah. And so he is the only one who could overcome the darkness of man's sin and the corruption that has tainted creation and grant eternal life. And at the end of the chapter, chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 59, he, he, it, it ends by saying that they, they picked up stones after hearing this claim, I am the light of the world, they picked up stones like they were ready to stone him and kill him. In chapter 9, Jesus follows up his bold claim to be the light of the world by saying, I mean, sorry, by demonstrating that he truly was the one who had the power to give light to the blind. He gives sight to a man who was born blind, the one whose life was consumed with physical darkness. He opens his eyes so that he can now see. That's what chapter 9 is about, being the light of the world. And for us, it shows us that Jesus Christ himself has power over darkness, He has power over sin. He has power over maladies. The blind man's journey of faith is every believer's journey of faith we read in chapter 9. Because the spiritual blindness that that is for the blind man, physically and spiritually, reveals to us that we also, as sinners, have this same malady that affects every human being. Spiritual blindness. And so only Jesus is the light of the world who can illuminate our spiritual darkness by opening our spiritual eyes to give us eternal life. And so in chapter 10 this morning, we see Jesus as the promised shepherd of God's people. He is the one who truly leads God's people. He protects them. He provides for them. And he grants salvation and true joyful rest. That's what this parable is teaching us this morning. But before we go any further, let us pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, may you open our eyes. As you did for the blind man, giving him physical sight, open our spiritual eyes if if they are not open yet and give us spiritual sight. Help us to see our great need for you. 
Lord Jesus, help us to see you as the true shepherd. The promised one from God. Open our minds, Father, to understand your word. Open our hearts to love your word and give us strength to live and apply your word daily into our lives. Even this morning, Lord, may we be open before you so that you are able and free to move in our midst. Let us yield ourselves. We do. We yield ourselves, Father, for your glory, for your goodness, for your work in our lives. Transform us, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you found your place in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, follow along as I I read through verse 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of the sheep, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but, he, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. In verses 1 through 6, we see Jesus telling us, or we see John showing us, rather, that Jesus is the promised shepherd of Israel. And so we see that Jesus is the very fulfillment of God's promise of redemption to his people. He's the true shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And so this parable contrasts Jesus, the true shepherd, with those false shepherds of Israel, as we mentioned a moment ago, the Pharisees. They're the ones who have deceived Israel and are out for their own gain, looking out for their own interests. And so we have three distinct differences between the true shepherd and the false shepherd in verses 1 through 6. These distinct differences between these shepherds reveal to us why Jesus is the true shepherd and why the Pharisees are the false shepherds. But before I share those distinctions, <clears throat> I want to share with you just a little bit about a, a shepherd, shepherding culture and what, what this looks like. Maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but generally at night what would happen is the shepherds would come back to one place and they would put all their sheep into one pen. Generally, the backside, it was up against the side of a mountain or a big boulder, and then they would have walls built out around that were about, I don't know, chest or waist high, and then they would have some brush and some dried up vines and, and, and thorns kind of all mingled together to, to form the top, kind of like we would see maybe razor wire at a, at a prison today. But the, the design was to keep intruders out, to keep the thieves and the robbers out. And then there was, a, there was an opening on the front, and generally the shepherd or a hired hand would lay down in that opening in order to keep the sheep from leaving, in order to keep anyone from entering into the sheepfold. So they would put all their sheep together in one. And then at the next morning, they would they would call out and their sheep would come to them. Because the sheep follow the tune of their shepherd. 
It was during the Palestinian uprising in the late 1980s that the Israeli army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem for not paying its taxes. The officer commanded that they round up all the village animals and then place them in one large barbed wire pen. Later in the week, he was approached by a woman who begged him to release her flock because her husband had passed away and, and this was her only source of livelihood. And so he pointed to the, to the pen where all of the animals were gathered and he said, you can't possibly call your own sheep out of here. And so she asked, if it were, if it were possible for me to separate my sheep, would you allow me to take them and leave with them? And so he agreed and said, yes. So a soldier opened the gate and the woman and her son walked in and the son produced this little red reed or, or flute. And he began to play a simple tune. And as he played this simple tune, heads began to pop up around the sheep pen. And then he kind of backed out, and, and as he kept playing this tune, the, the sheep that were scattered all throughout the sheep pen began to look up, and they began to walk towards the tune, and they began to follow the tune, and they, they walked out of the sheep pen through the gate, and they began following the little boy as he led that, 25, that group of 25 sheep back to his home. There are a few distinct differences that we realize and recognize from this parable between Jesus and those false shepherds. The first one we see is that Jesus enters by the gate into the sheepfold in verses 1 and 2. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. His only intention is to hurt the sheep. It's to steal. It's to, to, to remove the sheep, to distract them, to pull them away. But in verse 2, it says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What I want us to see is as the true shepherd, Jesus came in the way appointed by the father. He came as the Father expressed that He would come through the prophets who prophesied of His coming. Everything He did was a fulfillment of God's perfect plan. He was sent by God. And the true shepherd speaks God's word to God's sheep. And His people will not be afraid. But they will follow Him because they know the good shepherd loves them and and cares for them. And as the true shepherd, he leads his people to places of nourishment and refreshment. And so for you and I, we look at this parable and we must recognize and realize that Christ as the good shepherd is calling out his sheep from this world into the flock of God, into and amongst the people of God. And we see uniquely that he is the one who enters into the gate of the sheep because he is uniquely qualified by the Father as the one who has come from the Father. And that's what John 1 through 9 has been showing us, that Christ himself is uniquely qualified to be the one to come and to lead the sheep. The second distinction that we see that's different is the sheep hear his voice and follow him, but they flee from a stranger. And so in verse 3, it says to him, the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and leads them out. They hear the familiar tune. They hear their name being called. And they follow this shepherd. He knows them by name. He owns them. That's incredibly encouraging to me 
to think that Christ, the good shepherd, says that he owns them. He owns me. Look across the page, maybe in your scripture, but to verse 27 of chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see the ownership here? Those whose lives are hidden in Christ, who have surrendered to Christ, He owns us. No one can snatch us out of His hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He, He owns us. He knows us. He calls us by name. Think about this distinct difference from verse 5. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, his sheep, they hear him, and they follow him. They come after him. I think about Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes have seen, where David says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were not one of them. It ought to be incredibly encouraging to us, church, that Christ the shepherd knows our name. He, he calls us by name. The third distinction that we see is he doesn't cast the sheep out as the false shepherds cast the sheep out. Instead, he leads the sheep. Back in chapter 9, verse 34 and 35, the blind man who had been sitting by the temple, probably begging at the gate, waiting for alms, has has been doing that all of his life. And now he receives sight. He's been made whole. He's been restored. And he ought to be welcomed into the people of God, into the flock of God. But we see what happens by these false shepherds in verse 34. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe that the son, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And so what happens is when he comes to the religious leaders, they excommunicate him, literally, they put him out. But Jesus goes and finds him as a good shepherd, and he brings him in. You see the difference? The difference is that Jesus, as the good shepherd, he brings them in. And then look at what happens in the second part of verse 3. He leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The significance here is the same word that's used in chapter 9 verses 34 and 35 to, to describe the conduct and what the religious leaders of the Pharisees did in putting him out is the same word that Jesus uses here to speak of leading him out. And so they put him out, but now what Jesus does is he comes and he leads him out. He doesn't push the sheep out. Instead, Jesus leads the sheep When he puts forth his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so it brings us great comfort to know that the good shepherd doesn't lead us to a place where he's not going. He doesn't push us to a place where he isn't. Instead, he leads us there daily in our lives. This 
has practical implications, knowing that he leads us each step of the way, wherever we are in our vocation, Christ, the good shepherd is leading us at home in parenting. Christ, the good shepherd is desiring to lead us. Our children, he desires to lead. He desires to lead us in each and every step of the way. Now, John gives us three metaphors, and Jesus teaches in this way, three metaphors for us to understand verses 1 through 6, this parable. And those three metaphors are seen as an explanation. And so the first one in verses 7 through 10 is this. Jesus is the gate into the true fold of God. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, the fold of verse one speaks to Israel as God's covenant people. Back in verse 1, this fold that he's speaking about, it is Israel, God's covenant people. Jesus has entered the door of the fold of Israel by fulfilling all that's written in the law and the prophets. And now he calls those out from the fold of Israel to follow him. But this parallels what happens for those who are not of the fold of Israel, but are who are Gentiles. Look in verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And so we understand Jesus has sheep that are not of the fold of Israel. They are Gentile sheep. They are you and me. And so as we read this parable and we understand this explanation, we understand it as having specific application to our lives. It's for this reason that Paul in Romans eleven twenty five says, I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be unwise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. Christ's mission is to bring in all of the sheep, the flock. And so he is doing that here. He's teaching. He's sharing on how he himself is the good shepherd. And so all must see Jesus as the gate for the true flock of God. Entrance into God's kingdom is through Christ alone. And so he's using divine language, claiming divine essence and oneness with the Father. He does it four times in this text. First, he says, I am the door or the gate to the sheep in verse 7. And in verse 9, again, I am the door. And in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And in verse 14, again, I am the good shepherd. He's trying to establish a truth for his hearers to live out and to understand. And that is salvation comes through him alone. One enters the kingdom of God only by coming through him as the gate. What does that mean practically today? Well, first, he's the gateway to salvation. Verse 9, he's the gateway to salvation. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, right? He's the gateway. 
Acts 4.12, the Apostle Peter proclaiming in the sermon, proclaiming God's word says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Those who enter through him, Jesus says, will be saved. The question then is saved from what? Well, saved from the curse of sin and eternal condemnation. That's what he is speaking to. Saved from death and the wrath to come at the judgment of God. We are saved because this good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep, for each of us. For all who profess faith in Christ and follow the good shepherd, for all who hear his voice when he calls out our name. So he is the gateway to salvation. Practically speaking, he is the gateway of provision. In verse 9, the gateway of provision. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Going in and out, think about it. It speaks to security and it speaks to provision in the life of the sheep. He brings us into the fold so that at night there is protection, right? We can rest comfortably knowing that the good shepherd is watching over us. And then he brings us out. He brings us out into pasture that we would find green pasture, that we would be nourished, that we would be strengthened. He would give us rest and he would protect us. He would provide for us. He brings us In and out, he is the gateway to salvation. He is the gateway to provision. He teaches us dependence on him as the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures. The truth is, when we follow him, we never we never lack for his for his work. He provides everything we need, church. Maybe not everything you want, but he provides everything we need. And this is seen as he is also the the gateway to fullness of life. We see it in verse 10. And this is the real, this is the, the practical part as we are living in Christ, walking by the Spirit, we will experience the fullness of life. Notice in verse 10, the mission of the thief, Satan, is only to steal and kill and destroy It doesn't take much imagination to figure out or to understand the mission of the thief. And we hear the admonition of Scripture, the exhortation of Scripture, that we must be aware, we must be sober-minded to his schemes. But hear what Jesus is saying. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Fullness of life, meaning eternal life. But it's not just, Jesus isn't just speaking of that glorious life in the future, in the eternal abode of the Father. Ultimately, yes, that's what he's pointing us to. But fullness of life now. He means for us to be liberated from bondage and darkness to sin and experience the blessings of of Christ now, of the Good Shepherd now. We can know the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing Him and being united with Him now, being yoked together with Him now. There's security and provision now. (laughs) It's an invitation to delight in God now, currently in this life, day by day. And it characterizes His shepherding. Do you believe that Christ is the good shepherd? What does it mean for Him to be the good 
shepherd. Doesn't it mean he wants what's best for his sheep? Doesn't it mean he he wants to provide for his sheep? Doesn't it mean he wants us to experience the nourishment that we all need in him and and to experience the closeness of, of relation to him? It involves a deep sense of purpose and in fulfillment that can only be found in Christ, which drives every aspect of our Christian lives. So that when we work, we work for the glory of God. When we love, we love for the glory of God. When we eat or drink or play, we do it for the glory of God. Fullness of life means seeing ourselves as God's agents in this world and experiencing His nearness as we trust Him to lead us into any and every circumstance. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, right? He is the good shepherd. So there's security and there's provision now. What Jesus promises to those who follow him is a contentment and a peace that surpasses all human comprehension. There's richness in the kingdom of God. But this richness in the kingdom of God is not dependent on our bank accounts. There's purpose through knowing Christ. And purpose in the kingdom of God is not dependent on our status, our position in this world. There's identity in Christ. And in the kingdom of God, our identity is not dependent on what others esteem us to be. Jesus offers us abundant life. And we have this abundant life by entering through the one who is the gate, Jesus Christ. We enter through the gate. The second metaphor he uses is to show that he is the good shepherd who is committed to his sheep in verses 11 through 13. And the truth we need to see here is simply this. Jesus won't abandon you. He won't. He will be there. He won't leave you out in pasture to graze without without leading you. It's a truth that I think we need to keep believers in in the forefront of our minds. We we need this truth when we battle discouragement. We need this truth when we're we're tempted to give up on life. When we're tempted to give up on church and to, to just forsake it all. When our work in the gospel is draining us, perhaps we we need this truth. He hasn't abandoned us. He doesn't abandon us. He is committed to his sheep. Jesus, as the good shepherd, never, never abandons his sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verses 12 and 13 show us uh, what abandonment looks like in the picture of the hired hand. We need to understand that, as we approach this, we need to understand that sheep are really simple-minded creatures. That's a nice way of saying they're dumb, all right? Sheep are dumb. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm dumb. Oftentimes I'm, I'm dumb. Tim Challies in his blog post back in 2009 
shared from a newspaper article that was titled, Dumb as Sheep. The article detailed a group of, um, a group of shepherds in Istanbul. And the shepherds decided one morning to leave their sheep grazing in the field and to go off uh, and eat breakfast. But if you know something about sheep, you know that they need 24-hour constant supervision, constant leadership. And so hundreds of sheep begin following this one sheep that was the leader. And these sheep are wandering around the, the field and they're getting closer to the cliff. And as they get closer to the cliff, this one leader just walks right over. And then all the other sheep begin to follow this leader. And they begin to walk right over the cliff. The shepherds, perhaps they looked up in the midst of all this going on, and they see sheep just disappearing. (laughs) 400 sheep plummeted 15 meters to their death in a deep ravine or in this ravine. And it was in Iran, uh, Iran. it was around the village of uh, Ekizler. And those 400 sheep broke the fall for the next 1,100 sheep that followed right over the cliff after them. <laughs> As these sheep just followed their leader right off the cliff, these shepherds were probably watching in amazement to see all of their sheep just disappearing. The tally, I think, was $74,000 that it cost the farmers. Now, these shepherds, they were hired hands. They weren't the owners of the sheep. They were hired hands. They, they, they were caring for themselves. Shally's writes, sheep don't commit suicide, or not knowingly at any rate. They don't deal with despair by leaping to their deaths. The problem with sheep is that they're very dumb, really dumb. They're committed to a leader, so committed that they'll follow this leader even at the cost of their safety. When the leader wanders off the cliff, so do the rest of the sheep. I think what we see here is that sheep need a good shepherd. They need a good shepherd, one who leads them, one who looks out for them, one who watches out for their best, who is concerned, who protects, who provides, who guides them, who directs them. Jesus is that good shepherd. The hired hands of those shepherds, they, they were concerned with their own well-being. They didn't care about the sheep. The hired hand looks out for his own good. Verse 12 tells us that he's a hired hand, not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep. When the wolf comes, he flees. Verse 13 tells us that he's not concerned about the sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep. He doesn't abandon his sheep. Instead, he leads them. He protects them from danger. It was Christmas Eve, 1875, when a man by the name of Ira Sankey was traveling on the Delaware River steamboat. He was recognized by some of the passengers. His picture had been seen in the newspaper because he was a song leader for the famous evangelist D.L. Dwight L. Moody. They asked him to sing one of his own hymns, but Sankey demurred, saying that he preferred to sing the William Bradbury's hymn. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. As he sang, one of the stanzas, as he sang, one of the stanzas began, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. When he finished, a man stepped out of the shadows and asked, Did you ever serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered. In the spring of 1860, can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered very much surprised. 
So did I, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow would never, never get away alive. I raised my musket and took aim. And as I was taking aim, I was standing there in the shadows, completely concealed while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. And it was at that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing. Let him sing his song to the end, I I thought to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. He's my victim in all events and my bullet won't miss him. But the song you sang then was the song you sang just now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up many memories within me. I began to think of my childhood. My God-fearing mother, she had many times sung that song to me. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm of its own accord dropped limp at my side. There are times that we can be certain As we even look back, we know that God has protected us as the good shepherd. But there are also times when we have no clue how the good shepherd has protected and provided for us. And I want to exhort you this morning to see Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the one who looks out for his sheep. The one who says, you cannot be plucked from my hand. The one who knows that the plan of God cannot be thwarted in the life of the child of God. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Jesus is the good shepherd who doesn't abandon his sheep. The third metaphor we see in the text this morning is. He knows he knows us. Jesus is the good shepherd who relates to his sheep. He's the good shepherd who relates to his sheep in verses 14 through 18. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Brothers and sisters, it ought to bring us great joy and great comfort to realize and to hear these words that Jesus knows us. He's intimately acquainted with All of our ways. And as the one who knows us, he knows us best. And he knows what's best for us. Notice the reciprocal side of of Christ knowing us in the second half of verse 14. My own know me. What he's saying is the good shepherd knows his flock and they know him as intimately as he and his father know each other. That's what he's saying in verses 14 and 15. How well does God the Father know the Son? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's an intimate knowledge between the Father and the Son. And what Jesus is saying is those who are his sheep have that intimate knowledge and that opportunity for the intimate knowledge to to be yoked together with Christ, their Savior. How does the shepherd know us? If you flip over to John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer in verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask to take them out of the world, 
but to keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He's praying for his disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world for their sakes. I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. This being yoked together with Christ, being in Christ, being unified with Christ. Jesus says, as the good shepherd, he knows his flock and they know him. We know him. The relationship between Jesus and the Father is the model for our relationship with Jesus. Ten, in 10.3, ten he says, he, uh, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He knows us. And he's given us of his Holy Spirit. We see in John 14.26 and John 15.26 that we might know him fully through the Spirit's ministry. That we might know the good shepherd. Or what about what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And we could go on and on from Romans chapter 12 to Colossians chapter 3. Setting our mind on things above. I think the question that we need to answer this morning. Is do I know the good shepherd? The offer from the good shepherd is an unhindered openness in relationship with Christ. But it requires time with the shepherd. It requires that we would spend time meditating on his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time loving him and hearing him. Think about what it means for the believers. We have complete and total access to the good shepherd. And so Christ, the good shepherd, relates to us in that he knows us and he is known by us. But he also relates to us as he, Jesus, models submission and obedience to the Father. We see this in verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. The commandment that he received is one that he carried out. Submission and obedience might seem like synonyms, but they're really two different words. Submission is when I place myself under the authority of someone else. Obedience is when I listen and carry out the commands of the one who has authority over me. True submission is always marked by true obedience. And what we see here at the closing of this text is that Jesus voluntarily died on the cross. And his death on the cross was the ultimate act of submission and obedience to the will of the Father. And it serves as a model of the call of God in the life of every believer, every disciple of Christ. 
That is, that we are to die to self and live to Christ for the glory of Christ. But in that exchange, hear the heart of the Good Shepherd. The child of God can rest assured that God's plan is perfect and will never lead you astray. As we see the portrait of the Good Shepherd, remember that he will never leave you where he has not been. He will never He will never abandon you. The question I ask us this morning, ask you this morning is, are you following the good shepherd? Will you follow the good shepherd? The response from those who were listening to him in verses 19 through 21 reveals there was a division. Some said he has a demon. Others said, no, a demon couldn't heal the blind man. Comes back to the blind man. Jesus is teaching that he is the one who looks out for his people. The truth of Christ before us this morning is simple. Jesus Christ is the only gate of entrance into the eternal abode of God, into eternity. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd that will not abandon his sheep. No matter if someone else in life has abandoned you, know that Christ Jesus will not abandon his sheep. And Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who laid down his life for us that we might have eternal life. The good shepherd who did not flee from the wolf, but defeated sin and death on the cross, that we would have eternal life, that we could have life fully and abundantly. This morning, I want to ask you, are you following the good shepherd? Are you experiencing the goodness of the good shepherd? Do you know the joy of walking in the fullness of life abundantly? Believer, this is Christ's desire for you. That you and I would walk in the fullness of life. That we would experience his goodness now. I want to invite you to ask him, to tell him, help me. Ask him, pray to him, help me to experience your goodness now. Help me to know that and to follow you. Lead me. Maybe this morning you've never followed the good shepherd. The first place you need to start is by confessing sin before him and repenting before him, seeking his forgiveness. And then I would love to speak with you more about what it means to follow the good shepherd, to be part of his flock, to enter through the gate that is his through him. And so I'll be down front to pray with you and to talk to you about that if you'd like, or you can find me after service and we can talk more about what it means to enter through the gate that is Christ Jesus for eternal life. Let us pray. Father, you are good. Thank you for your glorious provision, your divine intervention into our lives through Jesus Christ. We take great comfort in realizing and recognizing that you know our name. That you care deeply for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't abandon us as those in the world might. But you lead us. In every way. This morning, Jesus, help us to depend upon your leadership. Help us to trust in your leadership. 
that we might have the fullness of life that comes from walking in fellowship with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.